new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA. It's time for Reffing It Up with legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in. This. This. Is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up with Brian Hemner. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is and forever will be the man in the stripes, Mr. Brian Hemner. Brian, what's up, man? Oh, not a lot, dude. Not a lot. I'm getting home from a little vacation. Uh, Me and my son went up to uh, Arlington, Virginia, which is about two hours from me, and we did a uh, Legion State Baseball Tournament. Uh, Mm. So, wow, I had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, getting – Basically, I watched my son play one more time before he heads off to school. So it was a, a very good, fun, rewarding weekend for me. Uh, it was great to get away from just normal life and just kind of hang out with my boy. So, yeah, I'm back, and uh, we're ready to do reffing it up. When does he leave? He probably leaves in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, he leaves the 19th. Don't Please don't keep reminding me. Uh, yeah, the 19th he leaves, so oh, we're so about, what, two, two and a half weeks out? Yeah, give or take. Something like that, yeah, and – uh he heads up there the 19th, so me and my mom are going to go with him, and we'll have a weekend on the 19th and 20th up there, get back on Sunday, and uh, leave him in uh, Tennessee at Milligan University. Well, it's Tennessee. What could go wrong in Tennessee, man? Come on. You got to be gotta be positive about it. No, I'm very positive. Just got to, <laughs> I mean, I he's just mean. My, my baby boy, man. You know, leaving, yeah. leaving home for, for a good four-year span and – uh, you know, his sisters are going to be emotional. You know how it goes, man. It's yeah. saying goodbye, you know, saying goodbye on a short term, which parents sometimes take it tougher than others. And yeah. I'll be fine. It's just, it's just leading up to it. That's all. Yeah. Well, my Gavin's only 10. So I, I got, I got a couple, two, three years left. So yeah, you and, got plenty uh, left. At the, at, 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 honestly, at this rate, he'll probably go train to become a wrestler at this point. Christ, he's been watching all the wrestling all weekend. He's, his mother's been out of town, so he's been up until like 10, 11 o'clock watching wrestling with me. And every time in. she's at, every time she's out of town or you're by yourself, you always let that kid go crazy. I love it. I, you got to live sometimes, though, man, you know, and oh, it's, yeah. just, it's uh, hopefully one of these times we'll make another road trip somewhere to go see an event. But, um, but yeah, it's been a w- weird and wild week in, uh, in professional wrestling. So let's head it up to the first count of this episode. So, Brian, a very close, dear, personal friend of both of ours, J.D. Hoop, is in the news again. Him and uh, Rod did the gear for the Street Profits this past weekend at SummerSlam in Nashville. Dude, he got his graphics on the Jumbotron. He's got the gear. Dude's literally everywhere. I am, like, so extremely proud and happy for J.D., man. Um and Rod, uh, but but JD man, his just his work is impeccable, and I think that people are really really starting to figure that out, and I think that's why you're finding his name in the news and finding his name being brought up in you know big time art graphic work and things like that and um, ring gear and things like that. So I mean, hey, hats off to the guy. I I, I actually DM'd him last week uh, and told him that I really really appreciated everything and anything he does for our our wonderful podcast and um, he's just, just sincere and just really appreciated it and just loves contributing to our show. And I just, 
find that really amazing and just I feel very, 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 very fortunate, very lucky yeah. to uh, have him, in my opinion, have him on our team. Yeah. No, he's he's the only I've used him since day one, since I started podcasting with the other show. He's he's done everything for me. I've had probably about about two sets of logos that I've used and he's worked on. And and the best part about this whole SummerSlam thing is his brother was there too, watching it. Oh, his wow. Brother was, his brother drove up from uh, North Carolina and I'm friends with his brother as well. And he's like, he was even, he was thrilled too, to see it too, because he's, he's worked, he's worked his ass off JD. That is for do, to get where he is. And dude, dude deserves a lot. So if, Anybody's listening, AEW, WWE, Impact, and New Japan, MLW, whatever. Hit up JD Hoop online at JD Hoop702, Instagram, Twitter. Dude is absolutely amazing. If you are a follower of this show, and if you're not, I don't know why you're not at this point, but check out the logos he does each and every week for me, for us, excuse me. And it, it, just impeccable taste and fantastic and work. Not, not not to mention, I mean, he also has got the graphics for our freshly released shirts that we have. Um, so yeah, you can get that in multiple colors and things like that. Um, and that's that you can fill them in on that as far as where to go. But uh, yeah, that he's going to be the contributor for that uh, logo graphic work, which is awesome. Um, I, I just love our graphic for our show too, and and it's not just because it's you know our show; it's just because mm-hmm. it really looks good. And, um, yeah, you can get one on our website, um, and, it, it, and it's all designed by him, and it's awesome shirt. Yeah, if you go over to castby.com slash reffing it up, it's right there, excuse me, at the top of the page. Or if you just want to go straight to the website, it is at bonfire.com slash reffing it up. That's bonfire, just like the fire you put in your backyard during the summer, bonfire.com slash reffing it up. Uh, so to stay on the SummerSlam topic there, Brian, this – it was kind of a bittersweet SummerSlam because this was the first SummerSlam without Vince McMahon. But at the same time, it was the first full-fledged pay-per-view with Stephanie in charge, Triple H in charge of creative uh, as well. And it, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't disappoint. I know you've worked with all three Vince and Stephanie as well as Triple H. How do you think that this is going to go? We saw a lot of returns too. We saw Bailey come back, Io Shirai, uh, Dakota Kai came back, uh, and I think we're going to see some more. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, this this is kind of, in my opinion, for me personally, not not that it has to be anybody else's, kind of shot a little juice in the arm um, because of the curiosity that where this is going to go, the product itself. Uh, which I think is really, really cool. And which way it goes, nobody knows. I don't know either. Um, <laughs> I know that for a fact that the creative portion of their their product is going to be a, a quite a probably a, quite a bit different um, and easier to deal and manage because of the way that Vince did things um, when he was actually there, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the talent coming back is not is not surprising to me. And I think that we're going to see more of that where, you know, th- that there's going to be a need to bring people back that might not have should have been let go anyway. Um, but I also think at some point you're going to see some talent leave too, because of the same situation of who's in charge. But no, I mean, listen, I think that Stephanie is probably the most qualified for her role. And I, and I, and I 
really mean that. And I think that Triple H is probably the most qualified for the role that he's got. Um, I just don't know who else you you put there, and, and and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, Stephanie is a businesswoman and a workaholic, just like her father. She gets it honest. So, so yeah. So I, I'm excited to see where the product of WWE goes without Vince McMahon, and um, I think this could be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I caught the little things. So I watched SummerSlam. Like I said, we, Gavin was up with me all well. Pretty much. He wanted he wanted to see Finn Balor wrestle. So said, okay, but as long as he wrestled, I figured he would wrestle towards the front end of the card. So and he did. But a few things that I noticed was they're starting to you know get a little bit more of the historical backgrounds. They talked about the Hardys during the tag team match that they normally wouldn't do before because they're not with the company anymore. Um, they talked about uh, uh Umaga and Rikishi when during the Usos match. Um they brought up the referee's name. I forgot who they were talking about, but they brought up, oh, referee so-and-so. That would have never happened before with Vince. I'm so glad that, you know, Michael Cole, that was probably one of his best pay-per-views that he called that I in, the, in recent years because it's those little things that you don't have to listen to Vince McMahon in your... Yeah, it's, it's one thing I've never understood why they did that. Like, um, so dating back to my years in WWE when we were... Uh, you know, in the 2000s and whatnot, um, they always mentioned referees, not just me, but all, all referees were announced, like as far as throughout matches and commentary. Uh, and then it just kind of went away and it was just, they were referred to as the referee. Um, I, I, I never found the positive side of that. I mean, I really didn't. Um, yes, I'm a referee. And everybody's like, oh, you just want to get yourself over. Yeah, fuck yeah, I want to go. Um, but, <laughs> right. uh, but, but the thing is, um, we're an important part of that, that deal. And I mean, we are somebody just like in most sports, the referees are acknowledged. You know what I mean? So I never understood that aspect. They took on that, that, and why that would be. So I, I'm glad to see that back because, you know, the referees do deserve to be named by their name and not just as a referee. Right. You know, we, this weekend was huge for the wrestling business. Not only was it SummerSlam, but it was Ric Flair's last match there at the municipal auditorium there in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Flair teamed up with Andrade's brother or sister, excuse me, his son-in-law against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal main event. But for overall thoughts on it, Brian, first and foremost, I absolutely love the, I believe it was the opening match was the American Wolves, uh, Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards taking on the Motor City Machine Guns. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. Wouldn't expect anything less of them from them. And the the women's match, we had Rachel Elring and and uh, Deanna Perrazzo taking on Jordan Grace in a triple threat match for the Impact uh, Knockouts title. I absolutely love those two matches. Obviously, you know there were high points, low points of the whole pay per view, but you saw it as well. What did you think of it? I mean, I, I thought there were some very, very solid matches. Uh, I really did. Um, I, uh, I went into this pay-per-view not with expectations as far as comparing it to other pay-per-views that I've watched in the past and still do. Um, so, you know, I felt like it, it, it delivered what it was supposed to deliver. Um, me personally, I felt like it had a little bit to be desired. Uh, but overall, I think that, you know, if most people watched it that are wrestling fans and not just Ric Flair fans, 
I think might have been might have been happy with it and, and, and should be happy with it because there were some solid matches. I mean, the girls absolutely killed it. And I think that was the match of the night, in my opinion. And I was talking to you briefly as well, and I think you thought the same. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if two people thought the same thing, you know, that, you know, it must have been something really good. And I knew it had the, the, the ingredients to be really, really solid. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, look at the three people that were in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was looking, though, I mean, really, because, you know, obviously there were a few matches that wanted to make me buy this pay-per-view. And then, of course, wanted to see Ric Flair mm-hmm. um, and Jeff Jarrett, to be honest with you, um, Jay Lethal as well. Uh, I just felt like the entrance for Ric Flair is what really just kind of like gave me like a, uh, um, I don't know if he was nervous or what, but I was looking for that old school sit at the top of the ramp. The music plays forever. He does his turnaround, the robe holdout thing that he does when he holds it out. It looks like a butterfly. Um, I, I just wanted to see all this nostalgia that went behind what Ric Flair was when that was his entrance and, and, and just felt like it was just a rushed, kind of thing and like he, he, he I don't know I don't know I, I, I really I was so excited when it was happening and I was like okay here we go I'm gonna go back to 1988 you know that kind of thing and mm-hmm. Starcade and I just never got there I never got mm-hmm. there uh the match you know was to be desired I think that there were certain people that did really well in it and I think you know for a 73 year old man he got through it and it was good enough got it yeah. done you know, even we we had um, Mick Foley, Undertaker, Bret Hart at ringside. Uh, the one thing I, I I noticed too, I don't know if you saw it. I know there's a lot of pictures going around online today of it. Is Undertaker looking really worried for Flair? Uh, there, he's not the only one that was looking worried. There was a lot of people looking worried. I mean, face it, man. Uh, you know. Th- this was very hard for him. This was very yeah. hard for Ric Flair. I mean, to get through and I'm not doubting him at all. I'm, yeah. I'm actually putting him over. And what I'm saying by that is at 73 years old, do I think I can get in a ring and actually referee much less get in there as a wrestler, take bumps, yeah. have the stamina to go and, you know, and, and have a match, a competitive solid match. Um, no, I don't think I can do that, but he did. Um, but he did it under a lot of, stipulations as far as his body goes as far as his health goes um you know it was even quoted that he said that he had to drink every day leading up to this just to get through because it's the only way he can because he can't do it sober um something to that effect um you know so you know i I was actually really really surprised that taker was there i'll be honest i really was surprised he was there i'm glad he was i know he thinks a lot of rick flair i do know that um but i was really surprised and once again, you know, Vincent Man not being there has got a lot to do with a lot of what you see nowadays. Yeah. No, and, and it goes to show you too that no matter whether he's in a part of the business, part of WWE, this is Vince McMahon, that is, he has his reach goes a long ways. You got Foley there, you got Brett there, you got Undertaker there, you had El Snow was there with uh, Santino Morella. So you had a lot of a lot of the boys there to support Flair, and and I told you before we hit record, is I just want to be able to do anything at seventy three years old. To be honest with you, I don't not not so much to wrestle or whatnot, but I and I give him a lot of credit. He got in, he worked his ass off to get in great shape to get into the ring and wrestle, and no, he, he did. It, 
you got and everybody should commend that. And if anybody, you know, you know, you're going to get your negative reactions no matter what, no matter whether you, you know how it is, whether you do go hundred percent and you do perfect in your eyes, somebody's going to shit on you. And yeah. it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. No doubt. I, I, you know, I just leave it like this. You know, I was very happy to see the names forementioned that you just did that were there. I thought it was very awesome. Um, I thought that, you know, those guys being there meant a lot to Flair. Um, I thought, you know, Kyoto did a great job of refereeing it as well. Um, I, I thought that, you know, you know, what it was meant to be, I guess, was there. Um, I don't know that people, even including myself, were expecting some five-star match because I was not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was expecting a five-star entrance. I was, I really was. Obviously you could tell I was let down by that, but mm-hmm. you know, Jeff, Jeff did a great job. Jay Lethal did a great job of, 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 and you touched on this earlier with me privately that, you know, of protecting, mm-hmm. especially Jay Lethal. Um, and I guess that's why, you know, in my opinion, Jay was in the, the match because, you know, they had worked out and all that stuff. So that worked out great. And, um, but no, you know, overall, I'm going to say the pay-per-view delivered what it was supposed to. Um, this is the first one they've done. So, you know, you're going to get your hiccups and they are definitely worth some hiccups, but mm-hmm. you know, if you're a wrestling fan and it seemed like it was weird too, the, the fans were kind of weird. I think they were Ric Flair fans and not wrestling fans. Yeah. They're there for that. Hey, I, I caught it. You know, certain matches are sitting on their hands a little bit. Certain matches are all high or up and hyped for. Yeah. That's what you're going to get, though. If you're tagging it as Ric Flair's last match, people are there to see Ric Flair. They don't, they, not to say they wouldn't care, but they, you know, they're there to see Flair. Yep. And it, and it felt that way for me most yeah. of the night, as far as the crowd went. But yeah, so not, 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 not a bad pay per view, not a bad pay per view. Yeah. And, and, and it made its point and did what it needed to do. So, coach to uh, comrade friends. And uh, hopefully we get to do something like that again. Hopefully. Well, we got something coming up. We'll talk to you at the end of the show. We got something coming up at uh, the beginning of September uh, that both you and I will be at in Chicago, but we'll get to that at the end of the show. But the main reason why we're here today is to talk about uh, Tommy Dreamer, the innovator of violence. Dude, uh, just to, for context on this, and it was the same that we told. I told Bully last week too, is this ECW stuff. Northeast wrestling is what I grew up on, you know, sitting, staying up until two, three o'clock in the morning, watching it on the old dial. You had to get up and turn the dial for, to see the damn, uh, 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 picture come in with the antennas and all that crap. But, uh, well, let's head up to our second account of this episode and get this show on the road. I just got, the memo, Brian. And the fact is, we will be joined in about 15 minutes, as we're talking right now, by the man himself, Mr. Tommy Dreamer. So stay tuned. For 15, in 15 minutes, we'll have we'll bring him in. But until then, just get a little context to his career. Um, he was well, trained wait, by- a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before, before you get going, you need to say one thing to me, or actually two things to me. You were thank right. You, thank you, Brian. And you were right. I was right. And thank you, Brian. And thank you, Brian. All right. You can continue. 
Jesus. You see what I have to deal with, folks? Seriously. <laughs> you know, I most of the times I just sit back and, you know, I just let you and whoever we're talking to go to go at it. But what the hell? Uh, oh, but was trained by Johnny Rods, who you know, laundry list of people that he's is trained is just fan. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, but the other part of it, too, and we can even ask him this when he comes on is. The meaning of why he was Tommy Dreamer. Do you know the story behind it? Um, I, the only thing I know is that he, you know, Tommy's his real name as far as I am concerned. Um, it's, his given, it. it's his given first name, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that he is a huge, huge Dusty Rhodes uh, fan. So I'm assuming um, Dream Dreamer would come from Dusty. And then once mm-hmm. again, that's something we can ask uh, when he gets on. Um, I actually have circled a question that I wanted to ask him. I wrote down some stuff I wanted to uh, ask him that I, I truly was curious about. And that's actually one of them. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, the D- D- Dusty Rose thing. So we'll, we'll get into that. No need to waste time here because yeah. when he comes on, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely phenomenal. And even what was it? We saw when we were watching the flare match or the flare pay-per-view last night. When Gavin was watching, he's like, you saw Cody on there. He's like, and he was explaining to my mom because my mom's here to take care of him tonight, today, and tomorrow. And she's he's explaining to her that Cody is Dusty Rhodes' son, and blah blah blah. And this is this, and he's got a brother. I'm like, man, I didn't even tell him anything about that, and he knows it. So you no know, props to him. Uh, but you know, early in his career, he's facing guys like Tony Atlas, you know, the Brooklyn Brawler on uh, Superstars. It just really kind of been really thrusted into the limelight, and he was kind of uh, coming on as that pretty boy. At his ECW days, right when he first came in. When he first came in in '93. You know, something else that's curious to me too, because uh, if if my notes are right, he went by the name of TD Madison, right? Uh, let me check my notes and yeah. TD Madison. I'm, I'm curious too, where that came from. Where did Madison come from? I get the T for Tommy. Uh, and then the D, uh, I, I don't know what it meant at that point, but, and then Madison, is he a Madison Raymark? Is that what it is? Well, let me tell you that story, my friend. Uh-oh. There he is. Kramer. My ears were ringing. Uh, <laughs> T.D. Madison was Tommy Dreamer Madison. Uh, my first television break was for a company called ICW, which later became IWCCW. And there was already a wrestler there known as GQ Madison. And we did a like a male models Chippendales type of gimmick. And it was a, I had already wrestled as Tommy Dreamer, as well as Tommy Dreamer for the same company. But they just gave me a, like a fabulous ones look. My mom made matching uh, bow ties and tucks and long tails <laughs> and no sleeves. And I was a uh, kind of an exotic dancer uh, for that time, the 90s uh, <clears throat> prototypical baby face. And he was already there. We won the tag titles the first night ever tagging. And then uh, I think we had two lovely title defenses and then he left left the business and then I was left without a partner and then I lost shockingly. And it's pretty funny because then later when I went to ECW, I won the tag titles with Tom Brandy 
in a similar good looking type of gimmick. Uh, and then he never returned uh, because he had a falling out with Paul. So I won the tag titles pretty much almost like real early on in my career. And then uh, my partner failed me again. And long story short, while I was starting as an independent wrestler, one Tommy Dreamer was in a, a worked for an all male review, um, being a like a server at an all male review in New York, like a Chippendales, because I was so. <laughs> So, RJ, before yes. we get going, because I go back uh, to that gimmick right now, and be like, no, 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 <laughs> coming, coming, co coming to impact the next pay review. <laughs> yeah. And first of all, where, Tommy, where in the fuck are you at? Look at your background, bro. You in the Bahamas? What the hell? I'm at my house in Michigan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. Great background. You, you, you can't tell by that. <laughs> My summer residence. I'm like the million dollar man. I have many, many different locations where I live. I know you do. Hey, uh, RJ, let's yeah. let's because because Tommy's a consummate pro and he's early. Let's get an account three, man, and just let's let's be, be about Tommy. You could air all this. I don't. I could care less. We go. Let's go live. We go, live, pal. We we, we got. We we you don't want to get to count three. We'll get the country. Oh, okay. Let's okay. Country. All right. Well, just go. Right. Just go. I'm not ending any of this out. Just go. Come on. I'll just talk so to Tommy. I, <laughs> all right. Well, so, so Tommy, I've actually taken some time today and I've written down some things that me personally would like to know that I think would be interesting for other people. Well, I don't so, do a lot of podcasts. I don't really do any. So for you, because you're my friend, I will do it. You got it. You got me here. I'm here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. And you know that. I do. So I, I I, this is really a shoot question. Please name something you have not done in this business that you would want to add to your list of things um, of your Hall of Fame career. Like, what? What is? It? Can you please tell me what you haven't done? Because I can't. I can't think of anything. I sat around seriously on this one question and thought, "What has Tommy not done?" Please tell me. Um, I have never won a Pro Wrestling Illustrated award. And it really pissed me off because I feel Raven and I should have won. And I know it's Markish, but uh, I was up for feud of the year and me and Raven should have won. And they gave it to Ian versus Axel, which that feud only lasted a short time in ECW. And but because of the, the violence and the differentness, it kind of uh, got there. I was up for most improved. I was up for most popular. Most inspirational. I never won a friggin' award because it's so real to me. Uh, I guess that's it. I didn't have an introducing as well. I actually thought you had to earn one. And right. uh, maybe I'll do that Chippendales gimmick now and get a new introducing as a whole new. <laughs> but besides that, yeah, I've been I've been blessed, man. Uh, you know, just like you, you want to learn every aspect of the industry, and I was blessed uh, to learn it from. One, my trainer, Johnny Rods, and then my other one was from Paul because back then it was much different with, it was the office versus the boys, but Paul let a 23-year-old kid uh, sit there, learn how to do a television show. We all know how to book slash fantasy book, and he let me learn, you know, his thinking as well as, you know, um, formatting television shows. I mean, doing everything. I mean, my trainer 
my how I you had to graduate wrestling school was I had to set up the ring by myself. Wow. And it's carrying those, you know how much those poles weigh. Oh my God. Things, but you you've done it with a crew. You have to do it by yourself and putting the 175 pound post there, then putting the other one there, and then picking up the big beam across. And if it doesn't fit, you got to put it down. You cut, but it makes you appreciate the ring. My trainer was very, very much like that. But and then it was JR who said that it's so important to wear so many different hats because I mean, honestly, I've had a blessed career that's, you know, I'm still wrestling, but most careers are short lived. But when you love something so much, you want to still be in it. I mean, look at you, you're retired. I already saw your refereeing somewhere. Um, you can't get away from it. And then plus you have a, you have a podcast. Why? Cause it keeps you connected to the business. You're very right. You're very right. Um, and, and the only thing I'm being honest with you, the only thing that I'm doing refereeing wise are things that I was already committed to before I amount, before I came and asked for, you know, getting at retirement. So they were things already had bullshit. I'm going to drag you back in. <laughs> hey, uh, Tommy, uh, another question. Could you describe or, or, or put into words the importance of Paul Heyman and the influence of you? Sure. Um, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was just texting with Eddie Edwards about uh, the three-way dance, the original one. And I was like, you know, the three-way match was not a common thing. ECW kind of, it wasn't the first, but brought it to popularity. And cause I was talking about, I only missed two Philadelphia shows in my entire career and both times I was in Japan and he had sent me one. It was actually PCO wrestling at the arena. And I was like, after that, Paul said, you can't go because the two times we had shows at the arena that you weren't there, they sucked. He's like, so you're kind of like that arena's lucky charm. Um, the business has been blessed with uh, Paul Heyman and um, I was blessed to sit under his his learning tree um, there. I always say this, man, you know, my name, my real name is Tom Lachlan. I was born in Yonkers, New York, but Tommy Dreamer was born in Philadelphia and Paul <clears throat> always thought different. And when you pretty much run your own company, you don't have to, your creative stays the vision that you want. And he had, he would fight for things that he felt were right. Even if it cost us, you know, television markets, all that stuff. And then, you know, he also was blessed to sit under the tree of Dusty Rhodes that, you know, goes under the tree of Eddie Graham. And the best part about, you know, if you think about booking, most bookers for every territory or, you know, current day would book how they foresee themselves if they looked in the mirror. WWE Vince, big jacked up dude, always would promote big jacked up dudes. Vern Gagne, shooters or himself bill watts big burly tough guys the von erics his, you know the father he would promote his son so it's all like what they saw but eddie graham booked people how he can make money with them and then so did dusty and dusty did it with how can i make money with you and then paul did it where how can i make money with this person and then he didn't see like you know you look at somebody like the sandman their body or a Taz or a Tommy Dreamer or, or a Sabu. 
Um, we were all different. We were all outcast, but we were able to carve our own niche because it wasn't, it wasn't like how the business was. I mean, Dean Malenko couldn't get a job as a referee in WCW and his father was Boris Malenko because yeah. he was considered too short. And, you know, Paul brought in a Mikey Whipwreck and then Paul brought in Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, guys who were con considered too short to be draws in the industry. And that's just, you know, one example or the three-way dance or, and I say this, Sabu is another guy who changed the wrestling industry and Paul gave him that platform because tables like tables weren't a thing in wrestling where you pulled this out, you know, the Dudleys capitalized on it and made a lot of money with it. But Sabu was like the first and he wasn't the first to use a table. He'd go back and watch old Memphis and they would throw guys into tables, but the use of tables in, in a, in the ring. And then, you know, ladders weren't the first, but they were, you know, Sean and Razor Ramon brought it to fruition, but there was a lot of things like going on where, you know, Paul straight up changed the, the industry with, you know, they copied the Attitude Era, which was a straight up copy from ECW. Years later, we find out Paul's pretty much, you know, working for WWE, giving a lot of that information to WWE, but he had us all convinced we were a real revolution and, <clears throat> we did change the industry bully puts it the best that we were Napster. You know, now, if you think about it, Napster changed the music industry. Now everybody shares things, you know, even on YouTube, you're allowed to, you know, show other people's footage as long as you give them credit or on social media, the same thing. But, you know, we were, we were, the business changed hundred percent when ECW came along. I also say, ECW was, you know, 80s hair, hair bands and hair metal. And then along came grunge. We were grunge. We were different. We were different type of characters. And it also, you know, it gave the business. What I really look back at it now is kind of what I've visioned NXT to be. ECW was a developmental system for the business. Guys came there, got over and most left when they got that opportunity. Some of us like myself stayed the entire way, but it was, you look at so many different things. And it's kind of like at times when I watch wrestling, um, one, you know, I'm very, very passionate about it, but like that episode of South Park where they're like Simpsons did it. I literally go back so many times and I'll be like, oh, ECW did that. And you gotta, you know, People like, really? What? Because, you know, ECW has gone 20 years now. There's people who weren't even born that are wrestling fans. Or, you know, if you're if you're a 30 year old person, you're 10 years old watching ECW and you may not have comprehend the crazy that you were seeing. But I mean, it was the best part about it, too, is where you could watch the company grow. And, so, Tommy, so yep. Tommy, real quick, just to touch on one thing, which I find really interesting. And um, so. You were with ECW from its its entirety, correct? Uh, once Paul Heyman took over, yes. Okay. So what was your motivation to just stay and ride it out? Was it because of your commitment to Paul or the ECW brand or both? Or Because as well, you said, people were leaving right and left. And I remember that. I remember talent like Taz and the Dudleys and all that stuff. People getting taken away. Um, even and WCW guys were getting 
you know, jobs there. No. What, what was your, what was your, like, what, what made you say, okay, I'm, I'm riding this out with you, Paul. Let's, let's, um, let's do it. At first, listen, when I first went to, to ECW, I didn't really know Paul. We lived at the same, we lived probably about 10 minutes from each other where I grew up. We probably still live about, you know, my gym is right down the block from Paul's house. Um, I didn't know him. ECW in the beginning was, was like an indie or it was kind of like impact wrestling is now we only worked once a month tops twice. But then as the company grew and grew, uh, my first offer was to go to WCW as an American male. Uh, Kevin Sullivan had asked me to go for $75,000 guaranteed a year. And I turned it down because now I'm watching. I didn't, I knew ECW had something because you literally could watch if you if you if you're watch on Peacock, you could watch the growth of the company every time we'd go back to that show where you could feel the territory was popping. And I also didn't feel like, you know, going to WCW to be an American male was worth it. Um, Now the company's growing even more. I had gotten a second offer to go. And this was when. Uh, they tried to do an entire, like, I guess, a coup for all of us to leave ECW and go to WCW. And they try to get me, Raven, the Pitbulls, the Eliminators, Van Dam, Sabu, Fonzie, and I want to say two other people, I, maybe Sandman. I, but then, and the money was a lot bigger, but I knew they were only doing it to hurt ECW and they didn't want me. And then that's when I was just like, I didn't like the WCW product. And I just knew like, dude, it's, it's dating a girl. That girl wants to date me so she could be with you, Brian. Why do I want to be with that girl? Um, (laughs) Or, you know, Hey, I'm not sure if I'm in love with that person. Then towards the end, they offered me a boatload of money where I was going to go. And Paul cried um, and he, he said something to me that really, really messed with my head. And there's some days, you know, where I I don't have any, I I forgave Paul for a lot, but he literally said ECW won't survive without you because I mean, I was also running all the live events. I was basically booking, I was doing TV, we're doing everything, but he straight up said while crying, all your friends will go out of, won't have a job if you leave. And I'm, you know, think of that. That's, that's a heavy, heavy thing. You know how close I am with a lot of people, but I mean, even if it's, I know a lot of people always had that me survival mode, but I never did. And I thought about like all the people and then he's like, ECW will go under if that happens. And then towards the last time, Uh, I remember I was getting a haircut and they called and they wanted to do an invasion of ECW. Dusty called. He's like, Hey, I got Eric Bischoff on the line. We want to do an invasion with ECW. We don't think Paulie's on board, but we'll do it with you. And I was like, man, I could convince Paulie. He goes, yeah, but, and then when I called Paul and he was just like, Vince will never forgive me. And I was like, who gives a shit about Vince? And right then and there, I was like, man, I think something's up. 
But what made me stay, I really believed in the product. If I was to be selfish, I would say if ECW hit, I had the most to gain. And I also like, you know, uh, in hindsight, why I'm also very, very the way I am, like I was told it was also mine in the sense of it was my company as well, but I didn't have anything in writing. And there were so many like different things. And I mean, even like my contract, I wrote my own contract and was when I was getting paid, Paul was acknowledging it, what I was getting paid but he never signed my own contract that I drew up and it was a fair contract, but I never had anything on paper. And it's just, you know, Hey, uh, did I get screwed over? Yeah. But then I think about, I've outlasted pretty much everybody. And if I didn't stay with ECW, I don't think I would still be known as Tommy dreamer. Like the guy who I went down with the ship. I went down with the ship even longer than the owner. And it's all good. I don't have malice uh, towards him because of that. You got to, you know, just move forward. And, and honestly, I forgave him on WWE uh, television when we did a, a whole sit down. And there was, you know, there's a lot of people that still have a lot of anger and hate. Me personally, uh, and I was just talking about this with somebody else. <clears throat> Brian, if I owed you $5 and you left impact wrestling and i would be like hey man can i paypal you five dollars and you'd be like nah dude i i can't do that you know don't worry about it. it's only five dollars the next time i saw you i'd make sure i gave you five dollars and it's just that's how i am as a person and and i would always say like if paul paul's been in wwe forever paul's worked a bunch of wrestlemanias he owed a lot of people money if paul would have went to i'm not even talking about myself um, if Paul would have went to a, a Shane Douglas, Hey Shane, I know I owed you X amount of dollars. I know, I don't even know what it is, but here's $2,000. Here's $5,000. Please take it. I thank you for sticking by me. Um, I do have a problem with that because a lot of people believed slash died on the vine. And, you know, a lot of people also didn't have opportunities to go other places. Like, and, you know, I, I get that lost pay you chose to stay there you know but there was people that you know put money out of their own pocket um which really really like trust me my credit got screwed up because i own the ecw ring truck the last two shows i paid for i paid all the boys you know to get there and like i put everything on i maxed out credit cards my parents were owed money so but you know it's like hey i owed you half a million dollars Here's 20,000. Here was my WrestleMania bonus, you know? Yeah. yeah so stuff like that would, would get to me as a human being. Um, but like, I just had a, what's her name? Jordan Grace bought me a, a Starbucks mug that I asked her to get for somebody else and she wouldn't take the money. And then like, I'm trying to, see how I can stuff 20 bucks in her bag without looking like I'm rifling through her stuff. <laughs> that, that's just me as a human being. I, I just, I can't live like that. So there you go. Go ahead, RJ. So uh, research that I had and Brian knows this too, and he wants to know a little bit about it is um, 
the meaning behind the name Dreamer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everybody that knows you knows that you're a huge, huge, I don't think huge is the right word, but a ginormous Dusty Rhodes fan. Yes. Um, the name Tommy Dreamer, does, was that taken after Dusty? Uh, everything is a story with professional wrestlers, as I'm sure you're quickly finding out when uh, Brian talks to you or if Brian has guests on. My first gimmick I wanted to do, I was a big sting in the great mood of Mark when I got into the business and I'm training. And I, you know, I know everything about wrestling because I'm literally getting ready for my first match. And I have my character ready, who was going to be a mixture of sting in the great Muda. And I was going to paint my face and I was going to blow because we all know about the mist. There's the green mist, which is bile. There's red mist, which is blood. And there's black uh, mist, which is just really, really bad. But I was going to blow neon green acid. Or I was going to blow like glow sticks, but I wanted to blow acid and I want to be known as Tommy acid. And I tell my trainer, it's the day of my first ever match, October 28th, 1989. And I tell him my gimmick and he goes, what? You're too good looking for that name. You're not going to paint your face. It's stupid, stupid gimmick. If you don't come up with a different name, I'm going to call you Tommy Dickhead. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be Tommy Dickhead. And so I was. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so quickly, I was like, this has always been my dream to be a professional wrestler. Um, Dusty Rhodes, the American dream was my inspiration to do this. Um, and hence, Tommy Dreamer was born. And I've been blessed to have that name, own it for my entire career and before when we were talking about the whole ICW stuff, I've been, I realized I've been on television since I'm 21 years old, nonstop in different companies, you know, throughout. Uh, and thankfully for Impractical Jokers, I'll be on TV for the rest of my life because they literally show that episode every day. So uh, <laughs> it's all good. But that's where <laughs> Tommy Dreamer came from. <clears throat> my other backstory was, uh, when I saw Dusty Rhodes wrestle for the first time, I was on vacation with my dad and my mom. And I remember like watching him and I was frozen watching him. I could, I could remember him like it was yesterday. And I, I don't know some days how old my daughters are, but I can remember this moment and just the way the light hit his hair and there was gnats, there was no ring music. And it was him and Bugsy McGraw versus Dick Murdoch and Ivan Koloff in Hollywood, Florida at the Sportatorium. And it looked like he floated to the ring. And as soon as this match ended, I literally turned and I bought my first 8x10 of Dusty Rhodes and my first uh, wrestling T-shirt, which was a Barry Windham uh, T-shirt. And uh, I driving home, I told my dad, this is what I have to do in my life. And he was, you know, thankfully, my father was very, very supportive. And he did. He brought me all the wrestling magazines. And I was so beyond hooked because I was getting away from it because I had a bad experience um, from Bob Backlund which is, you know, a known story. And I was just like, I just went to do something with my dad that night. And uh, thankfully I saw the American dream. And the thing that uh, touched me the most, and it's something between, you know, Dustin and Cody. I didn't know this until Dusty passed. Cody was just like, you know, my father told me you're blessed to know, have five friends in your life. And he would, you know, do this, the King Kong Bundy five. And he goes, my dad considered you one of his five. And he goes, it was you, DDP, 
um, Glacier and two other people. And I was just like, what? And I was just, I was devastated when he told me that because I never knew it, you know, because Dusty would always call me a Mark and all that stuff. But it was because uh, I would always remind him of, you know, how much I loved him as well as, you know, how much he meant to me. And like, I would, as um, you know, I, I kind of like, I'll jokingly, and a lot of people don't understand my humor, but like, I remember one time uh, Ron Bass showed up in WWE. I work for WWE and Ron Bass is there. I couldn't believe, first of all, how big he was. First time I'm meeting Ron Bass and Dusty's cutting a promo. And I introduced myself to Ron Bass and then I leave and I go to Dusty. I was like, hey man, he's, he's producing a promo. And I go, hey man, I whisper in his ear, Ron Bass is here. And he's like, nods his head. Like, oh, good to see my old friend. I go, I got your back. And he's like, what? I go, I got your back. Remember he broke your arm and cost you the NWA title. And I walked away and he's like, <laughs> but he's like, why are you such a mark? And I was like, of you, it's all your fault. So, I, But that's kind of how I am. Yeah. Cause that's pretty much, I just actually introduced my son's 10. I just introduced him to, he's a big Cody fan. And he nice. said, okay, well you, you like Cody. Let me, and I showed him a Dustin, one of Dustin's old matches from WCW. And then I also showed him Dusty and Flair from the cage match at Starcade. Right. And I said, don't tell your mother you saw this bloody match because she's going to kill me. But, and, 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 and Brian knows this and, uh, he was hooked. He's went to uh, rebellion was his first pay-per-view he went oh, nice. to. And uh, he, he's hooked for him. I really think he's going to be a professional wrestler, which is absolutely fine by me. <laughs> I knew at uh, pretty much 10 years old, that's what I wanted to do. And I'm yeah. still doing it. I don't want to grow up. Um, and, and, you know, coming off of that, I was blessed to, when you talk about ECW, um, Brian, I would come through that curtain and this is also why, you know, and you work with me very, very much behind the scenes as well. Um, I would come through that curtain and my boss would be right there and tell me what he thought of it. And then we'd sit in the car and drive home or then he'd like, and he'd ask me, why did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. But then I'd also like, I'd come through and I'd have Terry Funk helping me or then I'd have Mick Foley helping me. And I'd have all these great minds or people that are making it or made it help me. I laugh sometimes when I go to Indies and I see like, I'm there. Most people don't ask me to watch their match. And then they get critiques from their friends. Your friends will just normally tell you, or like people who are on their same level. If you want to get to the major leagues of anything, wouldn't you want to get opinion from a person who played the game at the level you want to get to? I just tagged with Scott Steiner and road dog was the announcer. I literally asked them like, Hey, was there anything like you saw that did I look slow? And like, first, like, it's like a joke. And like, are you kidding me? I'm like, They're like dude, it's an indie show. You, you entertain the people you're like, but like, that's how we kind of, you always want to get critiques because I hate everyone just blowing smoke up your ass or I hate like, Oh, everything you did was great. No. Cause I used to come through that curtain in WWE. And as long as I hit my time, that's all they cared about. And as long as Vince wasn't mad. And most of the times Vince was not mad 
because I knew those rules. But like I, I tell everyone all the time, greatest quarterback, Tom Brady had the greatest coach, um, Bill Belichick. Now he has another great coach, um, Bruce Arians. He still has, he has these great coaches. He has a line. He has an offensive coach. He has an offensive coordinator. He has a quarterback's coach. There's also a, a, a new coaching position that I just heard of, a handoff coach, someone who teaches you how to hand the ball. He has all these people, plus the players in that huddle. Hey, man, this guy's limping or this. He has all these people telling him how to be better. He has people in his ear while he's playing the game, and he is the best. But guess what? He doesn't win the Super Bowl every year. He still throws interceptions. And I'm super competitive like that, but I still always want to be better. You know, um, and, and I just think like you could always go if I'm going to I have a, a referee question. I'm going to go to Brian. Because Brian will help and I have. And if he don't know, he'd go to his dad, you know, and that's that's kind of how it is. But that's another blessing. It wasn't just people blowing smoke up your ass. It was everybody working for one goal. And that one goal was the betterment of ECW and, you know, Hey, I don't like where let's say I say something and it doesn't happen uh, in impact where I say something. And then Scott Demore would say something different. We're on the same page. And then if I went to Scott, Scott, why did you say this? And he'd be like, Oh, I thought it was this. Well, then you need to tell me. And I was, Oh, I'm sorry. Or I apologize to him. So there isn't that, that's how, in my opinion, how the, how it always has to be. And there's no, as Brian will tell you too, there's um, a lot of people's frustration when they were in the WWE system was so many different people tell you so many different things. Just tell me what you want to do. I had the greatest time when I went back to WWE to feud with the Wyatts. Bully was the one who hooked it up. And Bully goes like this, you, you, this is what we want to do. We want to bring you in. We're going to find out, bring in one other person, maybe Rob Van Dam, maybe whoever. It turned out to be Rhino. We're going to work three weeks. We're going to have the blow off at TLC. And if I can politic, you're the one who's going to do the jobs all the time. And he goes, you negotiate your money. And that's how long you're there for. Great. I went to WWE. I negotiated my money. They did everything they said they were going to do. We got extended for um the day after which was even better because it worked it was in philadelphia and then john cena gets hurt and i go on the road with them for three months in dark matches all that stuff i mean not dark matches but live events uh dark match main events at television everything they said came through yes there were little divots along the way um i even asked if john cena if i'm replacing john cena can i get john cena's money they told me no but I had to ask, but they did everything they told me. And it was, it was my, one of my favorite times of going back there. And uh, so, you know, that's how I'm very, very to my detriment. I feel I'm very, very direct, but that's how I want to be treated. And I want to treat people that way as well. I don't, that comes from, <laughs> we all listen. Uh, I'm 51 years old. We all kind of know why we are the way we are. I don't tolerate lying because I was lied to, especially from ECW, you know? Don't need to blow smoke up my ass. 
If I suck, I suck. If I'm great, cool. I don't even need the pat on the back because I went out there and did my job. It's nice to get the pat on your back, but um, so that's really it. So, so, um, so I want to give you two stories here, and these are recent ones, not you know trying to go crazy back, but it, uh, I, I'm trying to trying to let listeners and even RJ know the type of person you are backstage. So this is backstage, nothing personal, just as me and you working together. And you may remember the scenario, you may not. And it's cahoots to you. So I compare you a lot to my dad. And when I say that, because you are a very, you don't hold back. In other words, if you don't like something, you don't like it. And you tell me, and you're wide open with it. And that's what I appreciate because that's what's made me what I think I am today, which is a better referee than most that's out there now. And I'm not toot my own horn. I'm just saying, but I've, I've, I've had a lot of constructive criticism throughout my career. My dad was the most brutal man ever made me cry every night after I'm working. Um, you know, just trying to get better. You know what I mean? And so I'm trying to give a scenario here and see what you remember. And then I want you to hear your rebuttal. So I remember one night I was doing a tag and I felt like it wasn't right, but I felt like I tried to cover myself best I could because you know how tags are nowadays kind of gets out of craziness and there's no rules. It kind of just gets, well, we want to get this spot and we want to get that spot. in. Well, I knew it was going to be that. And I immediately came backstage and you were fucking sitting right there and you were like, what the fuck? And I was like, what do you mean? And you went, why are you not being protected? That's your fault. And I was like, I tried, I tried. You were like, well, that was fucking horrible. And I was like, Tommy, I tried to be over here because of this. And then I tried to go over there because of this. And I tried to do this. And he goes, stop. You said, stop. You tell them where the fuck you need them to be. And you make it right. And I was like, I tried. And you were like, well, you're Brian Hebner. This is Impact Wrestling. You fucking tell them where you need them to be. Because they buried you. They fucking buried you. And I was like, no problem. I'm sorry, Tommy. You're like, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> you know, how you always come yeah. down and you're like, I'm not mad at you. What I'm saying is use your authoritative figure that you are and tell them how this is supposed to be done. Cause that was horrible. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. So there's that end of it. Okay. Then we have this end of it where you're the agent. The boys are going over this with me. And I go, that's, that, that's, that's not going to work. And they're like, I said, who's your agent? And they're like, Tommy. And I'm like, all right, I'll be back because that's not going to work. And they're all pissed off because they're like, well, this is the way we have it set. This is the way we I don't give a fuck how you have it set. So I go back to you and this one particular TV and I'm like, Tommy, why can't we do this, 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 and this? Because that makes sense for this at the end to finish. And I know people, fans are probably going or, 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 or listeners are going, well, what the fuck's he talking about? I'm saying they had a plan finished that didn't make any sense, buried the referee and made everybody look bad and didn't do anything for the product or the match. So I went to Tommy. I said, why don't we do this, this, this? And you were like, I like that. I like that a lot. Let me go talk to Scott. <laughs> and I was like, all right. You went and talked to Scott and you got it fixed. What I'm saying is the both stories are this. You come down on somebody when it's not right and you don't care who it is. Yes. Did you hurt my feelings, crush me a little bit? Yes, you did. But did you... Pick me back up at the next moment where my ideas worked and you were like, you know what? Brian's ideas work. They make more sense. It makes this match better. We need to fix it. And you fixed it. You know what I mean? So yes. you, you, you are just a, a great guy to work with and a great mind. And I just think that, you know, 
that's why you've been here a long time. So I'm done. Now I want you to reiterate or do whatever you want to do. Well, you were also hired to help our referees and to help the situation because a lot of times I, there's two, I, I joke with Justin Roberts all the time. I say you have the most important, unimportant job in professional wrestling. Everybody feels they could be a ring announcer. Everybody feels that they could be a referee, but Justin is the best ring announcer. He adds to that show. You were hired to be a referee because you were, you were the best and you were brought in to help with our referees because at the time we had referees like it adds to the match everybody you know listening to this they're not listening to this because they're a casual fan they're listening to this because they are they love wrestling and they're an insider and then when i say insider it's not like you know hey we all know this stuff is scripted but you add to the match I say this, and I know you have heard me say this. If I'm laying in bed next to uh, my wife or my girlfriend, and I say, Wait, I guess, whoa, 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 you confused me. I'm your using wife? this as an example for everybody. <laughs> okay. If All you're right. laying next to your wife, your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, whatever, whatever the case, your loved one, the person you're with, if you're laying in bed next to that person at 11 o'clock, you get a text and you say, you know, she's sitting next to you. Hey, who's texting you at 11 o'clock? Oh, it's, it's Brian. He wants me to do his podcast. Then at about 1230 at night, I get another text and, you know, she's laying right next to me. And uh, who, who's texting you this late? Oh, it's Brian. Is that a girl? Do I see, do I see a boob? Oh, well, yeah, it's Brian. He's at a strip club. And at 2.30 in the morning, my phone goes off and I get another text. If I tell her, like, she's like, who's texting? Oh, it's Brian, blah, blah, blah. By then, if she doesn't believe me, she either believes me or she doesn't. You know what I'm doing? I'm cheating. If I'm at first point where she says, hey, who's texting you? And I say, oh, it's this girl that I plan on banging this weekend. That's me not cheating. And the referees literally look at the cheating happening and just let it happen. And that's not your job. It's your job to say, hey, you're cheating. Guess what? I'm getting a divorce. Guess what? This match is getting thrown out. That's my rudest, crudest example of what a referee job should do. And if you think about it, and I, I talk about, I just literally talked about this, you know, because uh, we're coming off of SummerSlam. Um, the the referee the the with Ronda Rousey, did she tap or did she um get, get pinned. pinned it's a great finish it's a paul Heyman finish because you were there when he did it with undertaker and kurt angle and it shit the bed yep. Yep. um and they reshot it because vince didn't like it but again years later paul Heyman proved that it worked and it's different eyes on the product um the think about a referee in all sports real sports football I use football and I use baseball as the two examples. Base where you bet on this, the outcome, if you're a referee in these uh, games and you do a great job, you get promotions. You get promotions to the all-star game. You get promotions to be part of 
the playoffs and you get promotions. If you're that good, you work the world series. It's a big, big thing. Same with football. Hey, you know, you do the playoffs, you do the Super Bowl. You get more money if you're good at your job. And now think about it. How many times do we have to go to instant replay now in baseball? How many times do we go to instant replay in football? When there's people whose job relies upon them making this call, and then sometimes they all huddle and they're like, man, what the hell happened, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. And then they got to go to replay. It takes like a, an official crew for baseball. You have one, two, three, four umps for football. I don't know. You have a guy, they're all making these calls and they still have to like be, they're wrong. And think of how hard that is when they're getting paid for real. This is not like that, but it should be in the sense of human error. And it happens. But when you're you're knowing it's it's the it's the foundation of everything professional wrestling, good versus evil. And guess what? The referee doesn't always see something. the The term uh, a a false finish. That referee is is counting one, two. He's not going to stop that count unless that guy kicks out, and he does it. Or a false tag. He's going to make it. This guy's getting beat up. Oh, my God, he's going to lose the match. He goes to make it. The referee's not there because the other guy's coming in because the ref's doing his job. The referee's been distracted from the cheating, and it adds to the match. A shitty referee can mess up whatever you think the greatest match of all time is. If they had a shitty referee who went one, two, oh, that's the finish. Let me uh, three. Think of like Randy Savage, uh, Ricky Steamboat, if the referee messed up that finish. Think of all the littlest things. That's why I say it's the most important, unimportant job. It's the most important because you need great qualified people to do it. It's unimportant because the promoters don't feel like it's as worthy of paying somebody because, hey, I could get this person to do it. And 100% not true. So, and, and what's really, really wonderful about you and I, i'll even put out lance storm is another one um in my opinion who really deeply cares about the referee work that goes into your matches um i talk to daniel all the time okay yep. and people that are on my my podcast that, that that listen um know who i'm talking about daniel spencer um he tells me you're always on him like not 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 on him bad but on him and you know what i'm not there anymore Okay. And I love that. And then he respects that. And he, he knows, I mean, you know, that I can call you anytime and I always do. Yeah. And so probably I'm sometimes annoying to you, but whatever. Um, Only when you're drunk. <laughs> that's never, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, so it's good to see that you're continuing to do what you do as far as my end goes, as far as being a referee. And I love that about you. I mean, there's a lot of love about you, but that's, that's, that's one of them that I really do. And I, it's, like you said, sometimes it's overlooked by many people, especially agents, because they don't realize really how important it could be for them and help them do their job as well. And I'm trying to get Daniel there to where he can be a contributor. And um, Daniel's just all ears. And, you know, I, I seem to keep putting him over every episode. And it's because he's actually like my prodigy. Like, you know, like everybody is such good people, too. And listen, man, we all love wrestling. And just like I said, wrestling 
like, you know, Hey, could you have been a wrestler, Brian? Maybe, but you became a great referee and contributed to the business that you grew up. Love You're a second generation. I consider you second generation wrestler, but you're a second generation referee. But I never looked at you like he's just a referee. I was like, fuck, you know, but he's in the business. He's the best at what he does. And you know, this, there, listen, man, two people that I really, I care about. I care about so many people. Um, Mike Posey, excellent referee, lost his job in WWE because he flinched too much. He oversold uh, when guys would take a bump. Vince didn't like it. And then literally he did it the next week. He was fired for overselling a big bump. And they told him. And then they didn't tell him a second time. Little Guido lost his job as a referee for three seconds of his life. And I hated that about it. You know why? Because I put him in that spot. WWE was snowed out. It was the day after Christmas. Little Guido, and one day he'll tell you the story. Um, he was a doorman after his run was up. Being a doorman in New York City is a union job. It's a great job, but you have to put your time in. And he was so close to getting this doorman's union, as well as like they say, the, the month of Christmas, you make like a hundred, a hundred grand cash in tips, all that stuff. He's got a great job going for himself. And he went and did the spot because they needed a ref. And because the Madison Square Garden was, there was a massive snowstorm. So I call him, whatever. I don't even work for WWE. They offer him a job to go back on the road. Of course he takes it. He gave up a pension, going in the union, all this stuff to go back to WWE. And then in a specific spot of three seconds of his life where he didn't turn around, he was fired. And his answer when they came back through that curtain was, wow, I was just, you know, trying to protect the boys. And it, it was a kiss of death. Wow. I and didn't know that. He'll tell you the story. Um, but what I'm saying is I don't want to see people lose their job because of mistakes. Look at the umpire a long, long time ago. The guy pitched a perfect game. There's only been 20 something in baseball. And it was, he was for the Detroit Tigers. The guy pitched a perfect game and the guy says, you're safe. I mean, sorry. He says you're out. No, no, no. I'm sorry. He says he's safe when he was clearly out. He blew the call. He did a press conference. The guy, the referee, bawling his eyes out saying I made a mistake cost this guy a, a piece of history in, in the record books because he lost his no hitter he lost his perfect game for the ref's call and you know what happened after that they went to instant replay so something like that never happened again and that's as simple as something with with wrestling and, and dude I'll tell you another story about Paul Paul was like that Paul Going back to like the whole thing about Paul, Paul didn't care. Paul cared about how he could make money with you, how you can get over. This is 1996, Tommy Dreamer. I'm wrestling and he comes, I come to the back. How is the match? Because I got to talk to you. And he goes, what you're doing is fake. And you didn't say fake in 1996. Well, and, goes, no, and I'm like, what? And he goes, I don't know how you do this. You're probably the toughest man I've ever met. I'm watching you hit steel guardrails and bend them with your body. And I used to hit steel guardrails as hard as I can. I used to love bending them 
Even more so, I used to love breaking steel guardrails with my back because <laughs> I did. I was, and I would tell Tommy, our recruit, Tommy, I know you did. I know you did. You like breaking every fucking thing. Yes. But then I would tell the ring crew to reverse it. So I would hit it the other way the next night. So eventually, if I'm blessed to crack it, I'm going to crack. It's going to be a great moment. But also, it's a mental thing. I'm breaking steel with my body because I would hit them hard. If people had their legs there, screw you. I'm going to break your legs. That was my mentality. I would hit them, bounce off, and take a power slam on the concrete floor. I did that every night. And Paul goes, "What? It, it's physics. It's science. You weigh a certain amount. You're about 250 then. And he goes, you're getting flipped. I don't know if that person is turning. I don't know if they're driving you. And you're laying on the concrete. And he goes, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. He goes, and this was, that was my, what we say in the business, my cutoff spot. And then he goes, and what's fake? You're laying there. And all of a sudden, you grab your pants and you pull your pants up. Because you're conscious, you're self-conscious about your love handles. Either lose your love handles or forget about it because what you're doing is fake. And I'm like, hmm, now I go back and I watch my matches. I throw the guy into the, into the steel, boom. And as I throw him, as soon as I throw him, my right hand, I pull up my trunks, I mean, my pants. I come over, punch, get a drink, hit him, take him, throw him into the other side. I pull up my pants again. Then the third time, shoot, reverse, eat it, go. I never saw that unless Paul Heyman pointed that out to me and I had been wrestling and this is 1996 dreamer when I was in a zone, but I never would have seen that if my, my coach, my boss, my friend didn't point that out to me. And that's why I'm a lot of times the way I am because it's the littlest habits that if they don't point, you know, somebody doesn't point them out, you won't know it. And I have still people like that. I'll, I'll go to Eddie Edwards when I wrestle Hey, how was my match? I'll go to Sammy. How was my match? Because I know they'll tell me the truth. I'll go to Bubba. Bubba usually says, you look fat. But besides that, everything was good. <laughs> so, RJ, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I know you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just, You're good. You're good. I love Tommy, man. I'm just oh, trying to get good. all my stuff. I've never, I've never been able to, I've known Tommy forever, and I've never been able to sit down and actually ask him shit. Like this. <laughs> so it's great. Hey, I'll just sit back. You guys can chat. I'm, I'm enjoying this. RJ, uh, by the way, where are you from? Are you Buffalo, I see? Uh, I'm from Buffalo originally. I am actually in Rochester. Oh, okay. Outside of Rochester. It was just I, up. I, I'm, and by the way, I'm not leaving you guys. I have to let my dog in. No I'm, just, oh, I'm right here. I was so, just uh, uh, that way. I had a, uh, what, last Saturday or the Saturday before? You were at uh, uh, Riverworks? I sit in Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo Championship Wrestling. Okay, yeah, yeah that's out, out that way, yeah. They do a lot of – I know East ESW is out there too. Empire State Wrestling's out there. They do a lot at the uh, Riverfront there. But no, I worked uh, – I flew actually into Rochester, and my flight, there were so many delays, and I flew to Rochester. I had some guy pick me up, drove me to Buffalo, worked at a bar on a Sunday. It was awesome. Yeah, no, we uh, – no, a it's about – Great memories in both Rochester and Buffalo. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, Actually, the first uh, ECW show I, or show I saw was uh, November to remember '99. Oh, wow, and Burt Flickinger. Oh God, that was and ironically enough. My wife actually swam at that same arena about oh, really? probably about six, seven years after the fact. But uh, 
No, just absolutely. I, I forever will tell anybody that I ever say, Hey, I've never seen an ECW match. Go watch uh, Mike Awesome and my, my, Masato Tanaka. Yeah. Because it's a little bit of everything. Yep. Um, you know, once Brian comes back, we can get into this a little bit more. But I wanted to talk about um, your uh, title match last uh, last year against Rich Swan. You could keep uh, this part in too. Uh, one of my favorite things about Burr Fleckinger was yeah. my bleacher role um, versus Louis Spicoli. Oh, uh, right, right. I, Mick Foley was the king of the bleacher role. A long time before that, we had a who can go down the bleachers quicker. And when I tell you, like a complete idiot, I was on the top of the bleachers and I dove to like the fourth, fourth steps down and just rolled. But that Burt Flickinger bump, man, I just kept going in the speed. I don't know how I didn't break my leg at the end of it because I was going so fast. But it was just, it's just an amazing memory uh, of that place. I, I love that place. Yeah, because I was, let's see, 99, I would have been 15, 16. <laughs> And I actually told my parents, but to this day, they don't know I went to that show. I told them I was at my friend's house playing video <laughs> games. And those said friends were with me at the pay-per-view. Uh, and uh, no, I just, and, and that's why I said, it's like one of those things I try to, I'm like telling my son to watch, you know, old school ECW just yet, but. That wasn't um, Bob Van Dam versus Bam Bam Bigelow though, but that was an amazing moment. In my no, because that was. Oh no, Robin! I'm thinking. I was thinking Taz and Bam Bam, but that was Asbury Park. Um, no, no, Rob did the dive from the ring to the people. Oh, oh, oh the over the yeah, 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 yeah. I think that main event was uh, me, Sandman, somebody versus uh, Impact players and somebody, maybe Rhino. So, so hey, 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 Tommy. So because you're crazy as fuck. Yep. Um, do you prefer hardcore matches over regular matches? Honestly, because uh, I, feel, I just feel like that's you. I just feel like your answer should be. I'm not trying to put your answer in your own voice, but I'm just saying. I think you're gonna say, "Yeah, I prefer hardcore because this is what I fucking do." It, yes. Um, they're also, and this will sound even crazier. They're easier because um, I know when I'm gonna get the reactions. I know if I'm putting my body through things that most human beings can't comprehend, they're going to react to it, you know? And, and I always, as you know, you've refereed enough of them. I like to build to it. If it's, you yeah. know, use a chair, then I'm going to use a table, then I'm going to use tax, then I'm going to use barbed wire. It all like depends on where we're going to go with all of that. But uh, it, it became my niche but it also became like something that's so like second nature to me. Um, I know you guys wanted to ask me a question about me and Rich Swan. That was perhaps one of my, not my harder matches, but there was two things that happened there in that match that um, one, I was very, very proud of. And two, I almost retired from um, because one, if you go back and watch that match, there was a lot of controversy about it. Number one, because, uh, People are like, why am I getting a title shot? And I was just like, first of all, we explained it. Rich Swan had defeated everybody and he wanted to wrestle me. It really was my birthday and it really was my 50th birthday when it was airing. And it just was like right place, right time. And 
it did really, really well. It was cool. It was, I was trending. It did well for um, impact buy rates wise. My proudest moment, if you go back and watch that match, we never threw a punch. Why? Because we were two good guys and we didn't throw one punch. And I told Rich, no matter what, don't punch me and I'm not going to punch you. We formed each other. We had a great, great match. I have never been happier to get pinned. And I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> first time in forever, I blew up. And was it like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm fat. Oh, my God, I'm losing it. I'm 50. It's over. And I really was contemplating it. And then after that, I got, I believe, yeah, I got COVID. And I was just like, it's over. Because I almost died from COVID, all this stuff. But the greatest thing that I finally, when I went back and I realized, because I don't blow up. And uh, you, you know, jokingly before I tell you this, and I tell it all the time, like I do 45 minutes of cardio a day. I train really hard to look this bad. It's quite sad, but it's, um, I work out every day. It sucks. Um, I, I, I was like, how the hell did I blow up? Cause I was training hard for this match. And then I realized the most important thing was missing the fans and how myself and my character, cause we're really close, similar, how I feed off that energy. And I, and it was like a surreal moment. Because I said to myself, Thomas Lachlan was, was, would let down people, but Tommy Dreamer never would. And I couldn't let, if there was fans there, I would never have gotten blown up. If there was, um, that never would have happened. And it just, it did. And I mean, and you were the referee for it too, I remember. And I'll let you a little insider listening to this. We had to stop the match because of something that happened and we were, it wasn't live and I got concussed and I was just like, and I remember rolling into the ring and not only was I blown up, but I was concussed and I didn't know where I was. And I remember you telling me something. I was like, Hey man, we're just going to stop the match. Can you get me water? And you were like all in serious mode. I go, no, seriously, let's stop the match. I'm not moving. So we can freeze and then with a little bit of Hollywood magic, it never, this is the first time I'm revealing this, but uh, you never saw that I was not only blown up, but I was also hurt. And that was the magic of no fans. But then I, I realized how important, I always knew it, but that's when you say you felt it. And like I said, I would, no matter how much tired I am, I would always be like one breath. And then like, I would feel the people chanting my name and that's why wrestling is the realest thing and it's the greatest drug ever because i'm gonna blow my comeback and whatever ounce of energy i have left i'm gonna give to the match giving to the people and um that's how i always been and that night because there was no fans there it wasn't there <laughs> well uh, you know what and, and, and now that you've gone behind the curtain a little bit and i don't even know if you remember this this was hilarious to me you said your exact words were, I'm not exactly what you just said. And I went, Tommy, are you all right? What the fuck? And you were like, Hebner, get me a water. And I was like, Tommy, are you all right? You were like, give me a fucking water and I'll talk to you. Are my balls still here? And I was like, <laughs> yes, your balls are still here, Tommy. And I was like, are you seriously you all right? He goes, get me a water and I'll let you know in a minute. Okay, stop. And I was like, okay. So I went and got him a water. He 
went through his I, – I, see, I honestly did not know he was concussed, to be honest with you. I thought he was – like he said, I thought he's blown sky high. I really did. I thought that was what it was. And uh, he was just hilarious the whole time. He never stopped Tommy Dreamer. I mean, he never stopped. He never stopped Tommy Dreamer. It was just a constant joke after a joke. I'm fat. I'm fucking old. da 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 Give me a water. It, it was it was hilarious. You were you were so awesome. And I was I was I've so- done a lot of times where I've tried to break you. I we did it a couple of times with each other, but and you'd be like, you son of a bitch, and you're you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but just again, it's it's two friends working with each other. But yeah, um, I forgot what happened. Oh, uh I he right in the eye, I got kicked, and it was it was real. And all I remember being like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going out. I'm going out. And then uh, I had to be there for the cutter off the apron on the floor. And then once that happened, it was again, I was like, yep, there. I weirdly I say this. Um, I had a long discussion with Al. I know how to fight off a concussion that I don't go completely unconscious, right. which is not good for your brain. And I haven't had a concussion in a long, long time, but I knew I was out. And then I rolled in and I was just like, I had the wherewithal to know if I just froze and laid in that position. And I was just like, tell him to lay there because we have to be in the same spot. And we did it and it worked out. And this is the first time we ever revealed that, but it's okay. That's awesome, man. No, no, seriously. Hey, look, we have as much time as you want. I'm not rushing you at all. I just want to make sure I get this question in is all I'm sure. That's all I'm saying. One more so, question then. Uh, One more question. We'll answer it. All right. So to your heart, to the special person you are, I've noticed over all the years I've known you, you've always taken care of the boys. Always. You've taken care of me many times. Mm-hmm. Um, the point I want to bring up is, and I'm not going to mention names, and I'm not even going to think that you'll remember this. I don't know, and you might. But it's just a story that, Tell us who Tommy Dreamer is. So there was a talent that came in and worked our show. And I don't care how you put it, how you slice it. The guy was fucked up. He was fucked up. And some stuff happened. And I remember exclusively you hovering around, hanging over the talent. I believe you knowing the situation and you did everything you could to protect the situation for that particular guy. And that's when I went in my back pocket and I said, you know what? Tommy Dreamer is going to ride or die and protect this guy to where it doesn't come out what should come out to protect this guy and present him future jobs and give him opportunities. And once again, I know listeners will probably be like, oh, who was it and all that? It doesn't matter. The point is, you went out of your way to protect this talent because of you being the kind-hearted guy you are, which people don't know and probably don't understand. And you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deflect all this shit. I'm going to deflect every fucking thing. I'm going to be what it is. He's dehydrated. He was nervous whatever it may be. And you did all you could in your power. And you know what? It worked. And that's you. That that's Tommy dreamer. 
that's Tommy Dreamer because you protected that guy. And, and I don't know if you remember it or not. And I it's do. fine. I do. And it was recent. And uh, here's my thing. Um, one, I kind of always want to treat people how I want to be treated. Unfortunately, I've lost way too many friends to substance abuse. And at times, I don't want to... Again, as you get older, like uh, today is uh, an anniversary of me and Test wrestling at the Hammerstein Ballroom. And I miss Test every day. And I was Test's great friend. And at times I feel I failed him as a friend because I knew when he was getting messed up. And my friend isn't here anymore. But I also know that for a lot of people like who had substance abuse issues and, and they lost, you know, their battle. If they had see how it affects others in the sense of them not being around, they would have, you know, sought help or, or, or stuff like that, because it's so hard also for the people that, you know, were left behind and everybody would say, Hey, this person's a good guy um, or, or girl. And so that's one. And I have put a lot of my friends in rehab and thankfully WWE still offers that. With your, I know exactly what you're talking about. He wasn't messed up and he had, and this is something that we have to, you know, and I'm happy that we have more talks like this. He had an anxiety attack and he, he got blown up and he did get his bell rung, but he had a straight up anxiety attack and it was crippling to him because he was looking at it for, this was his shot back in the business. And because I was with him all the way up until um, the match. And I had asked like the people that he was with. And in my opinion, that's what it was. And for, I don't suffer that, but I've seen people who, who've done that. Um, just like when it happened at my show, and I'll talk about it with uh, big cast, William Morrissey. I was with him all day. I literally was talking to him and I said, go sign. And I was going to do an angle with him. And he stopped taking his medicine because he was trying to go clean by himself. And he had a seizure and everyone originally first wants to talk about, Oh, he's back on drugs. or it's, And it was no. And like, you know, the other part about that, me and bully are right there. And I'll never forget this, man. I'm, I'm like, I scream, somebody call 911, get a doctor. And I'm holding him and I didn't know him. And I see, because later I see this on friggin' TMZ and all other places, there's a person filming it. And that person goes, somebody call 911. And I'm like, motherfucker, you have your phone right there. And you decided just to film it. Then you decide to either sell it or give it or post it instead of helping a human being. And I don't take drug abuse or alcohol or people going into the ring messed up. It doesn't really happen at all in the most environments. I have seen a few, especially on indies, but I know the situation you're talking about. And, I, and I'm telling you, if you would ask me, because I was with him an hour plus later and I saw it go away and I, I've seen people, excuse me, with crippling anxiety and panic attacks and it happened live in front of the people because you 
he got his bell rung and then his nerves kicked in that, hey, I'm going to lose this opportunity and I need this opportunity to survive. And it just unraveled quickly. And, I, and it sucked that he had that happen. It's, you know, cool that I, I didn't do that because of the reason why you did, you thought it, I, I, because I know it is truth. I don't, I will protect people up to a point where I'll say, hey man, I did this. You need to go get yourself checked out. But that wasn't the case, man. I'm telling you. I got you. Okay. Well, and then the good of you again, I'll bring up. And I, <laughs> first of all, I do apologize to him and to you. You don't have to apologize, man. Um, but there was a situation where we had a, uh, oh, what was it? I can't remember. But anyway, we had a after TV party. And pretty much the entire roster was fucked up. Um, that's, <laughs> I know what going we, right. that's what we do. Well, something happened. Um, it was Eddie Edwards. Is that correct? Yep. And we needed help and nobody could help. Why was that? Because we were all too fucked up and we were having a good time. And who is the first person that is dialed on the phone? Mr. Tommy Dreamer. And guess what? Tommy Dreamer never fails. He answers his phone and takes care of one of ours. That's you, though, man. That's that's my point. Whether I'm wrong about the other one is irrelevant at that point, I guess. No, uh, it's not because I did. Listen, man. Like I said, man. If it was a total stranger, I've been like that. Uh, I'm I'm not here tooting my own horn, but uh, we were just in Atlanta and a uh, uh, an extra was waiting outside. It's not the nicest neighborhood. And I was like, Hey man, where's your ride? He goes, Oh, actually I wrecked my car on the way here. And I was like, well, where's your ride? He goes, well, they're about an hour and a half away. And I was like, this isn't the nicest place to be sitting. I go, let's go back in the building. I go, do you want to come to my hotel and sit in the lobby or, and he was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like I said, man, I know you've been on the side of a highway wrecked or you've been last to be left in the building. And literally it was me and Scott Demore with an extra. And I was just like, Scott's like, Hey man, you know, do you want me to get you a room? And that's the cool stuff about like when, you know, when you say you work at, at a cool place for the, for the boss slash, you know, one of the owners to be like, Hey, extra unknown person. Thank you for being here. We also want you safe. Um, and but again, we've been in way too many situations like that. You and I, um, when it's in a hotel, I usually, you know, I, I don't I won't preach. It's your own prerogative what you guys want to do. Um, but with that case with Eddie, man, Eddie had a, an emergency appendicitis and had to go to the hospital. And, you know, that was what what uh, I was. I was fortunate enough that I was there because who knows or where he didn't want to go. And I was telling him, listen, you have to go. And thankfully he listened because your appendix burst, you, you could die. All right. So RJ, I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I, I love Tommy and I'm just taking advantage of this. I'm no dude. Shoot, shoot your shot, man. So well, I'm not gonna say the last thing. It, it, it might be. <laughs> so, so Tommy, you were, you were actually quoted as saying that, you were really pissed about um, winning a title in ECW yeah. and you wanted to never win a title. 
Correct. I find, I find that very, 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 very intriguing because isn't a goal of a wrestler to always want to be a champion of some sorts? It doesn't have to be world champion. It just, just be a champion. Like where, where was your, I, I don't understand that. I really don't. And I, okay. I was stopped. I'm looking through my, I was looking through my notes today and I did some good study on you, by the way. I know a lot about you now, motherfucker. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you're, you're, wel- you're, you're welcome, Brian. Well, th- thank you, RJ. There's a, <laughs> thank you back. There you go. Uh, number one, yes. I didn't want people back then. If you think about the business, there was a lot of, I guess you call it nepotism or, or no matter how hard you work, especially then people would discredit. And again, a lot of this gets lost in history, but a lot of people will discredit your, and this is before social media, your title reigns because of either friendship or you're the booker. And I never wanted people to say I got that title because of all I did for ECW or because I was friends with Paul. Bottom line, that's what I didn't want. If you remember like you, I mean, hey, you were in the business. People would say that about Triple H. No, he's only the champion because it's no Triple H. And and I've said it to his face. At one point, he was the greatest in the business. He was one of the greatest heels of all time. He got that. He earned it. Or, you know, DDP or Kevin Nash, why they were the champions. Oh, it's because they're friends with Eric Bischoff. I disagree with some of those assessments. Um, But back then, that was very, very prevalent. When I went to WWE and I won that ECW world title, I that was all real. And I wanted to win that because, you know, and also in WWE, it's you win the title, you really get paid more. Um, you're the face of a brand. It means something. And then for there, I, I had to prove because WWE didn't believe in me. And I had to prove to WWE that, hey, not only like, can I carry it? But like, uh, I still, I most, I go to facts with everything. They're like, hey, this brand has been here for three years and, um, you're not doing much with me at all, but yet you're, and I said this to Vince, you're this great businessman. And if you go back and you look at your three highest uh, rated main events in the history of this company for the three years it's been on TV, who's the opponent? Me. And I was like, so tell me how you're a great businessman if you're not going with that person. It's not smart for business. And, you know, I came up with that whole angle that if I lose, I lose, I'll leave wwe slash ecw for real and uh it worked they believed in me um but i wound up being in the same boat what i'm trying to say is for ecw plus biggest part i didn't need it and that's also business i've always been very very business i feel titles are given to guys because they need it and they need it to get over i was already over and like, just like I say, hey, if there's a, a manager out there, if there's an, uh, a second out there, if they're not useful, why do we need them out there? Same with the world title or same with anything. Why? Like my Singapore cane, I could bring it to the ring, but if I don't use it, it's just the prop. Same with a belt or a title. Um, they're, they're needed to help guys get over. And it's that climb and it's that whole thing. And but after that what and then the other thing which is old school once you win the title like if you think about it once tommy dreamer wins the title what else does he have to accomplish slash is the proverbial what happens to your character 
once you win the big one. Like, you won't be the same. There's a lot of wrestlers that never were as hot as then once they won it. And to his credit, Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman convinced me. And he said, I need you to win this title. And you got to be the one to bring the title home because we had all this stuff with Mike Awesome and Taz, all that stuff he goes. And then we, he came up with the just incredible thing. And he goes, but don't ever put it around your waist. He goes, never wear the title. He goes, hold it up, get that picture, put it on your shoulder, get that picture, but never put it around your waist. And because after that, you know how many times Joey Styles would say, after all Tommy Dreamer has done for this company, of all the, everything he's done, there's not one picture, there's not one photograph. He never got a chance to wear the ECW title, which kept me in that hunt forever. Because, listen, it's kind of like, and we had it in Impact for, hey, we need a good main event. Hey, we need a good television opponent. Hey, we need this. Let's put Dreamer in there. And it was, you could go in there, you can win, you can lose, and then you could disappear. Or you don't need to be the main focus, but you're that steady that's always there. That's what I was in ECW. And if somebody beats you, man, nor how it was in ECW, you had a feud with me, you went on to bigger and better. And I stayed in that spot, kind of like what Jake did in WWE. It's a good spot to have. Okay, so uh, I promise I'm done. I'm shooting now. I'm shooting questions. <laughs> No, I mean, because these are like... I'm enjoying uh, this, bro. Trust me. Okay. Uh, you can shut me down anytime you're ready. So, and this is a serious question. What, what, what do you want people to know and mean about Tommy Dreamer one day when you walk away, which will probably never be, um, and just remember you as? Like, what, what is your ultimate goal? Like, so in other words... I know what I remember you as, and I'm not saying you're dead. I'm just saying, like, I, hear you. I, I, I know what you are. I know what you are. And, and I, I don't know what's more important. I don't know if you want them to know Tommy Dreamer, the worker, Tommy Dreamer, the person, a combination of both. I'm saying of people that don't know you, where, where do you want people to say, oh, Tommy Dreamer and blank, 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 blank. That's a great question. Um, I think Dreamer and the person and the character are pretty much the same. Uh, I always say um, I'm no different. I'm still a fan, man. As you know, wrestling could be a one-sided love affair, but I I'm blessed. I'm blessed to still be doing it. I'm blessed to like see people that I work really, really hard with hands on. You know, I, I loved hiring people when I had that job in WWE and I do, I love performing. Um, I, I know I'm not the person that I used to be, but I still have some spurts of greatness. Um, I want to be known as a hard worker. Um, if someone traced my, I guess, my lineage, I, I kind of got a lot of things over. I did a lot of firsts in the industry, um, which I, I, I do a lot of things to, um, like myself, pop, pop myself or... Um, just do things. I've always just thought differently. I, I didn't know this until somebody put it on Twitter. The only person to write, produce, and wrestle in the main event of a WWE show outside of Vince McMahon was me. When yeah. I wrote 
and produced ECW's One Night Stand. I didn't know that until Twitter. I always put myself over from doing that, but I didn't know that. And I don't think Triple H is going to be wrestling. So uh, I don't think that could be taken from me. Um, I love this business. I love being the heart and soul uh, of ECW. And a lot of people would call me the heart and soul of wrestling at times. We say it on Busted Open. But I'm a fan first, and I was just blessed. And I look at it, if there was somebody who I worked really, really hard to get where I was, um, and I felt I treated everybody. Everybody gets on an even keel with me. Like, literally, dude, I dislike slash hate one person in wrestling. That's it. I think that's pretty good. Um, that's it? That's it. Just one person. Wow. And you ought to see my laundry list. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, uh, I think for that too. And uh, at one point, I feel I was misrepresented in my, I already have it where I know where my ashes are going to be. I'm thinking of putting up like a, a, my own morbid death video where, because you can't please everybody. But when you die, uh, a lot of people will, you know, praise you. Or, you know, no one says, oh, it's a piece of shit when they die. Um, but at one point in my career, I was misrepresented. And that was me. That was never me. And I hate it. And uh, I hope one day the truth comes out. And you know what I'm talking about. But yep. that was never me. And it wasn't protecting the boys or anything like that. Um but I, I just I don't want the, I don't want to be mis misrepresented by that, and I get reminded of it a bunch of times. And then how I had to do for my own mental health and sanity was these people don't know you, and for the thousands of people that I've helped in wrestling and the millions that I've entertained, I think uh, my body of work stands up for me. So I guess that's kind of how I want to be remembered. I gave everything I could to wrestling and I still do. So I hope uh, people remember that. Well, first of all, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about and I think it's bullshit. And I was the first person I think uh, to text you. Yep. Uh, and if I wasn't the first, I was probably the second, whatever. Um, it was bullshit. That's not Tommy dreamer. Fuck them. Whatever. All good. I don't fuck. And you know what? You should, you should easily let that go. In my opinion, I did, and you should, because that's not fucking Tommy Dreamer, and it's bullshit. It was narrated the way they want to do it. It was scripted the way they want to do it. And, it's all good. It. It's and all good. don't get hot. I'm getting hot now, but I'm gonna stop. I'm, I'm not gonna get hot. But anyway, you just need to we'll fucking you back. get that shit. That's just stupid shit, and it's not Tommy Dreamer. And anybody that knows Tommy Dreamer, which is like you said. Thousands of people that you've helped, thousands of people you work with, ain't nobody going to say one fucking thing about Tommy Dreamer that's not positive. And that's just honestly. It's all good. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. And, I, you know, I think about it. And then I also think about, you know, it's the beauty of life. I had a my face and name on a billboard in Times Square five months after everything. And I had people that supported me and my, my real friends knew who I was and when Times are tough. You know who your real people are and uh, blessed to have those people in my life. You're one of them. But like I said, the, the best part about life, like I said, man, 
five months later, I had a billboard in my big friggin' head on Times Square for a week. And anything, life can turn around in a heartbeat, good and bad. And I'm happy I got to experience the, the good. I love your big head, Tommy. It's real. <laughs> Plus, whatever I'm doing with this retail. Are you still growing your hair? Good Lord, dude. Cut the shit, Paul Heyman. Man. <laughs> this happened because of COVID. Ah, I got a bald spot. It's all good. Um, and I see you got the Brody Lee thing back there. Uh, I learned okay. from Shawn Michaels and I learned from Brody Lee. Cause if you remember Brody Lee, when he showed up in AEW, he didn't have that bald spot anymore. Once you connect the long hair together and my, I, you cover your bald spot. So I'll look receding here, but it's good up here. Yeah. Hey, I, 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 don't, I don't have that. I don't have that problem. I kind of have to, you know, no, an interesting context to it. Brody Lee used to live literally five seconds from me here in outside of Rochester. A great human being. So, yeah. But. So, so actually, Tommy, you look like you've actually lost some weight. I'm trying. I'm getting ready for that comeback. Are you really? Hell yeah. Okay. Well, hey. So uh, COVID, I, I had. It sucks, man. I almost died from COVID. I got blood clots. I had. But I lost a lot of weight while I was sick. But then you have to go to the doctor and then they say, you have to take this medicine so you can live. And the medicine that I had, side effect, makes you gain weight. And my weight hit the fattest of all time. And what's worse, bullies in shape. And I never weighed, no matter how many, you've been part of our fat wars forever. I never weighed more than him in my entire career. And then we flipped. My weight hit 326, which is the heaviest Ooh. it's ever been. And he's 275 right now. But now I'm about, think I'm about 287. So I'm trying my hardest. I got you. We can't well, all ripped and shredded like you all these years, your entire life, you bastard. No, hey. You are jacked for someone who drinks as much beer as you do. I do not drink. And you know what? I've, I've actually slowed down because I'm not around you anymore because I know there's nobody to protect me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Tommy, you know, um, seriously, buddy, you know, um, I, I love you more than anything, man. And you know that. And um, I really respect you as a human being. I respect you as a talent. I respect you as a, an agent. I respect you all the way around. And I'm not just shooting shit to shoot it. I'm really being honest. Um, you know, I, I called you when you had a cookout going on with uh, the graduation and all that stuff. And this was not important enough for me to stop you from that. Cause I understand the values of family and that's majorly why I'm retired because I need to be with my daughters and stuff like that. And just need to be a family guy. And um, my son lost already many, many years of me because I was on the road and I just don't want to do that to my daughters. And I know how important your family is to you as well, but I just want you to know, honestly, I, you have no idea how precious it is to me. I called RJ and I said, look, as long as Tommy Dreamer wants to go, we're going. We can, <laughs> we can, we, we can have a fucking Jim Cornette three fucking hour fucking broadcast. I don't give a fuck. We'll break it up to part one and part two. That's go. it. That's it. But no, I, I really do appreciate it. And you know that. And I know I'm going to stay in touch with you. You know that. I've, yep. I've never. And um, so I think we're going to close things out, I guess, because um, you're probably tired of my questions and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever like i said i don't do these uh, plus i'm under contract with sirius i'm not supposed to do them but for you i'd do anything you and your family 
So oh, that's it. Thank you for listening to my yeah. stupid stories, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, life is blessed. So you want to plug yourself. Uh, I know you're on Busted Open. I know. But if you want to let everybody know where you're at, where you can find you and all that stuff. You can find me on Twitter sometimes. Uh, at the Tommy Dreamer. Instagram. Facebook. I'm not very Facebook savvy, but uh, I do post there. And uh, I have my own podcast, the House of Hardcore podcast, available where you get your podcasts. And uh, that's about it for me. You have to have me on your podcast one day. Sure. No problem. Love it. Want to do it? Is it just you and who is it? You and who? It's me and me. Me? And you? Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe I need to get rid of RJ. I'm just kidding, RJ. See ya. Well, no, I have a, I have a producer who who does all that stuff. I don't know how to do anything, but he doesn't ask questions or anything. I don't know how to do shit either, Tommy. He does it all for me. I'm just I'm just here now and just need those people in your life. Trust me. That's right. As you get older, you need handlers. I need a I need a Skandar Akbar. I need a Friday. I need all the because I'm looking more like Kamala, and I need more handlers in my life. <laughs> RJ, take it away, buddy. I love you guys. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Tommy. All right. So next week, Brian, we are going to be going over Triple H, the Raw from uh, March 22nd, 2004 against Eddie Guerrero. A match that you are definitely a part of on that. So definitely looking forward to that. Also want to give a couple shout outs. We shout out JD at the beginning of the episode with his great uh, uh, gear that he designed with Rod for, uh, for the Street Profits. Check him out. He does all the great graphics uh, as well. He's at JD, JD Hoop 702 on the Twitter and Instagram. And man, AJ McKay, man, can't say enough great things about him either. He is the fucking man. Seriously. Um, you know, I, I actually got my truck just the other day and just played the beginning of our show just because I wanted to hear how it sounded with some good sound. Yeah. And that shit be bumping dude i mean it is good it is really good and he is so talented man um get his work man look at his work if you need something done please hit him up please hit him up so you can hit us up across all your major podcasting platforms simply go over to castby.com slash wrapping it up our new merch store our new merch store is there there we go uh handles it is at Ruffin It Up on Twitter and Instagram. You are at Baby Hebner. Also, coming up in a matter of a month, we are getting together yet again. So I'll alert the villagers. But uh, in the uh, greater Chicago area at the showcase, uh, wrestling showcase show, uh, you'll be a part of that. We're also doing meet and greets uh, September 3rd at 10 Central Standard Time for VIP, 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. Central Standard Time for general admission. Head over to the wrestlingshowcase.com for tickets, whether it be for the meet and greets or whether it be for the show. The card is absolutely phenomenal, uh, and I'm uh, thrilled that uh, we could be a part of it. So other than that, Brian, you got anything else uh, before we close shop tonight? I got nothing, man. Um, all I'll say is if you guys don't know how sweet and tenderhearted of Tommy Dreamer, who's the innovator of violence is, um, if you don't know, you need to know. What a great guy. I had a great time today. Definitely one of definitely one of my favorite ones that we've done so far, Brian. But uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. And please join us next week right here on Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner.
one, two, three.